It's the NBA regular season. Sucks, except if you have the Phoenix Suns at 12 to 1 to win the Pacific. And the NFL draft has a lot of betting propositions this year. More than ever edition. Steve Fazek joins. We're going to have a nice brisk show. And then we've got, and this is, we've been keeping this in the hopper for a special occasion. About a 20-minute discussion that we had a couple months ago about Billy Walters. Matt Holt was involved. And let me tell you, Maddie, formerly of Cantor, which was eventually CG Technology, which was, you know, I think it was a known fact that one of the main places that Billy Walters was batting. And uh, though Matt doesn't give info he's not supposed to give, he, you know, he tries to give us as much as he can, and there was some real insightful stuff there. Otherwise, we're going to be talking about the draft props specifically, and one we did a good bit of work on before the show, and let's start there. And by the way, we've got a Hitman draft prop, a dead Diamond Dave Esler, some call him Uncle Dave, draft prop, and let me think. I gave him beat out on SOV at minus 200. That's gone up. And I did give Mac Jones at plus 150. You gave out Jokic minus 200. Oh, I'm sorry. What did I say? Embiid? Embiid, yeah. No, that was you that had Embiid <laughs> at minus. Oh, wait, uh. two to one. Okay, let's get straight to this draft prop. Now, this is one that Maddie Holt had on straight out of Vegas also. So we'll have a second appearance for Maddie. It's the number of offensive players versus defensive players picked in the first round. What's the odds, Fed? Offensive players, 18 and a half. Defensive players, 13 and a half. Now, I'm going by memory here, but when Maddie had it, it was 18, and it was about six days ago. Does that sound right to you? Yes, the money has come in on the offense. Now, it seems so over offense, the money going with uh, 18, 18 and a half. Number of offensive players. Now, the logic of that, I think, is is it, the logic of why the betting public would be doing that, I think, is strong. There's five quarterbacks that are certainly, unless there's a major injury, going to be five quarterbacks in the first round. And then if you say, well, who are the locks? And Fez did some work on this, and then we did some work together but Fez is the one that put this sheet together so the quarterbacks obviously Lawrence Wilson Fields Lance Mac Jones now who's the major quality let's say sure things on offense and where do sure things end right is it 11 and a half is it 15 and a half it's semantics it's words it doesn't really matter until we get to the math of this but Pitts Short thing. Chase, short thing. I think uh, Smith and Waddle. And again, we're saying first round short things. Uh, Sewell from Oregon, the left tackle. Slater from Northwestern. And I, I think, now again, we look at Vera Tucker and all that. Yeah, 16 is short thing. But let's just say the ones that we know their names. Because again, offensive players, it's easier. You know, they, they could just get talked about more. So you got your five quarterbacks, and then you've got Pitts, Chase, Smith, Waddle, Sewell, 
Slater. It's hard to listen to a draft segment on the radio and not hear all at least most of those names. And if you hear three of the segments, you're going to hear at least once those names. But now, so let's just, and again, this is kind of arbitrary, but it's going to be five plus six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven. There's eleven, like you can't fathom them not being in the first round on offense. On defense, you've got, and I mean, this is kind of daunting, but you got Sertain, you got Horn, and again, Horn, we can debate. Because, I mean, I think it's a, almost a short thing, but PFF actually did a, a mock, I think uh, George on the um, uh, their main NFL podcast did a mock without him, but he got some heat, and I think he said, well, I think he'll go, but I didn't want him, you know, whatever. Because, again, these mocks are always, is it what you think is going to happen or what you would do and if you were the decision maker for every team? And usually they make it a hybrid which I don't even, you know, I don't fully, meaning all of these people that do mocks kind of do. I'm not talking about, like, Mel Kuyper or whatever, but, <laughs> you know, I think he's got to figure it out a little bit. Uh, okay, so then we've got, from there, Parsons from Penn State. Uh, the D lineman from Michigan, is it... I mean, maybe. I don't even think you count him. I mean, he's 16, so we're not... So, of the... The fact that no one knows how to pronounce his name, it's P-A-Y-E. I think that's pay, right? I think so. Makes me think of paye. I want some uh, little Spanish rice. Mm. But wait, wait till you see his first name. I don't know how to pronounce that either. Huh. Qu- Quitty. K-Y-I-T-Y. Well, from Michigan, that sounds right. Quitty pay. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're not going to get paid. Hey, that's interesting. Uh but really, who's getting discussed? Parsons, you can say, you know, one of the best graded linebackers in some ways. Sertain, Horn, and who else is getting discussed? I mean, the dude who's the junior, where, uh, where's the dude who's the junior? He's the cornerback. Um, you got Horn, Farley. Samuel, yeah. yeah. What, what's the... Uh, He's 41 and a half. Uh, what's that Samuel's name? From Florida State. What yeah, pull that up. I think he's a junior. But um Asante Samuel Jr. Exactly, yeah. So you're hearing him, but he's not even a first, you know, he's just because of his dad. So you're looking at, let's say, four players, that, or, or three really, it's getting any attention, right? Sertain, Horn, and Parsons. That's right. So you got three on one side. And you got 11 on the other side. Now, the odds, you're, let's say we're going for, for the over just to kind of keep it consistent. So the, key, the 19 is the number you need to get to right? yes. for the offense. Mm-hmm. All right. So what you're saying is you got to pick up eight more from the, from the 11. And if, and if you're going for the magic number on defense, it's going to be what, 13? Or I guess it's 14. 14. 14. So you're saying, okay, well, from there, you're going to need from the three or four. Okay. So I see why the bias is there. Fez, you've kind of gone the circle on this. So your first thought was what? Boy, I had several thoughts on this. And that's why we're going to make them sequential. The first thought was that you actually like the offense. 
Yes, I did, because I, obviously I saw more guys on the list on the offense than the defense, and I said, you know what? We start so you out. Said you're just, I mean, you're like, I, I'm going to imitate Barney at the bar, which has been a trend with you recently. You said, wait a minute, all the quarterbacks count on offense? Up, f- up five right off the bat with the five quarterbacks. Okay. And then I basically just have to hold serve, you know, and have one offensive guy for every defensive guy and have one more offensive guy to get to 19. 19 to 13. Yeah, because if um, well, that wasn't what you were thinking at the time because it really wasn't uncovered until we were talking. That Fair enough, if you yes. Take, if you actually look at the whole spread of it, if you take the quarterbacks out and say there, there's five, that's a short thing, it then is, I guess, 27 left, of, you know, 32 minus the five. And amongst those 27, 14 Whoever gets to 14 wins because defense needs to get to 14 without obviously they don't have any quarterbacks or 14 plus five is 19. So other than the quarterbacks, is it going to be split 50 50? Well, it can't be because it's an odd number. Whoever wins, wins the bet. All right. Offense or defense amongst the non quarterbacks. There's 27. Whoever gets to 14 wins the bet. And you uncovered that. I thought it was very eloquent. I love that. But but I guess what I'm saying is what you're saying doesn't make any sense. You're saying you were thinking that, hey, if I just go one-to-one, it's a good bet. I mean, that's what you might say in the first five seconds of the analysis, but you were thinking about, like, given as a pick, what was your thoughts at the time? Well, I went ahead and I said, you know, all picks are not created equal here. Let me look at where these guys are slated over under because you can bet them on where they're going to go. And as I was going through and inputting the numbers, I was like, wow, there's a lot more, even taking out the five quarterbacks, there's more guys on offense projected to go in the top 46 than on defense. And I thought, well, that's probably going to translate. So the, the 46 was w- why 46? You know, that was an arbitrary point. I had to cut it off at some point. And I said, you know, we're talking about players going in the first round. And I said, you know, if I take 32 plus half of 32 to get to 48, and it just turned out there weren't, I don't think there were that many at 46 or 47. So I used, you know, 46. Okay. What we want to do here, and I think you agree, is walk through the logic, and quite frankly, it's not even the logic to our our solution, but rather the logic to how we were trying to solve the problem. And initially, we what we thought probably wasn't right, and it's kind of like a roller coaster. So start with your thinking before we even talk. So initially, I wanted to look at the players that were likely, very likely to go in the first round, and I said, let me look at the players over-unders 16 and a half or less. So projected to go in the first half of the first round. And there was a predominance of offensive players. 13 offensive players met that criteria, only four defensive players. So 17 met that criteria. Okay, so it's over-under 16 and a half, so that doesn't make sense right away, does it? Yeah, it's just the bookie, the way they, they yeah, line the numbers. Which tells you that there's a bias towards the under, right? Yes. Well, yes. Think about that. If it's... It, it, there were seven. Yeah, there'd be a bias towards the right under. because if you bet them all under, you you start out with one automatic win because they well, all no, seventeen you have one automatic loss. If you if you have oh, 17, bet them all over, excuse me. Yes, if you bet them all over, you would have one automatic win. Yeah, but but we're saying there is a bias towards the under, right? Is there two weighted like over under uh, season win totals tend to have a bias towards the over? People want to bet that uh, the Dolphins are going over, the Patriots are going over. I think people want to bet what the affirmative bet 
the the optimistic bet is to go under. Is to go under, and the fact that you have 17 teams or players under 16 and a half <laughs> is a sign of a bias towards the under. Yes, I hadn't thought of that, but absolutely. Okay, but continue. So what, what I said, let me go a little bit deeper here. Let me go to 25 and a half. So that's basically a little past the three-quarter point of the first round. Certainly not a lock, but very likely these players are going to go in the first round. And what was interesting here, 14 offensive players and nine defensive players met that criteria. Now, the five quarterbacks for the offense, and that was balanced. Nine offense, nine quarterbacks, nine defensive players at that point in time. So... As far as a projection, 14-9, to nine, the offense would be ahead after 23 picks. I think you're saying that a little wrong. But let's walk through this because I got to tell you, I still don't know if this is the right way we went about this. Um, my first thought was is to say, okay, the distance from 32 tells you to some degree how confident you can be that 32 or that it's going to be in the first round. So if an over-under is like 16 and a half, you'd have to be off by 16 picks to not be in the first round. But if it's 29 and a half, you only have to be off by three, I guess. So that was a way to think about it. So what did we do? We said, all right, let's take the last 10 from each of the offense and defense, the last 10 to get to their magic number. And then we said, let's just take the average. And then we thought about it and we said, well, 10, that's too many because what's the most extreme outcome we could imagine? Like 95th percentile confidence level, what's the most number of offensive players you can imagine? I mean, like 22? 20. 20. All right, 20. Well, maybe you're you're 21. Give me, you, you, you give me 20, 22 to 1 about that it's not going to be 21. Because I said five, 95% confidence. Sure. You would? Yeah. Not for a big bet, but yes. Well, when you say not for a big bet, that's a sign you don't like the number, right? So, um, but it doesn't matter. What we're saying is in that case, it would have been off by how many? Uh, 22 and, and, and uh, 19, Three. right? Three. So we said, let's take, let's see the last three, four, five, maybe six. Well, how did we decide how to examine the last? It's almost like, in the election for the presidency, where if you look at 538, they say which state, based on their polling, will be the state to put the winner over the 270 or whatever it is. I think it's 270. Is The idea is that, hey, if the polling for this candidate goes up 1%, it's going to move up. And they've got their models that say, well, in West Virginia, it'd only go up half. And over here, it'd go up. And then everything gets recalibrated. And then there's like... That's the state that's the tipping point state. Um, here it's going to be which player is going to be the tipping point player. And the question is, how many back do we want to go? Because we know 19 is the magic number for the offense. And by happenstance, we saw that the last five, so it would have been 19, 18, 17, 16, 15, if it, they did get to 19, had a over-under between 27 and a half, and this is for the offense now, and 29 and a half. So we could have arbitrarily went in and said, oh, let's just look at the last three, and, uh, and those three were all 29 and a half. And we could have done that. But when you get the fourth and the fifth, it's right behind it. 
maybe it's better to just look at the last five. I'm not sure. So we looked at those five, and then we said, okay, who's the last five to get to 14, right? That would be 14, 13, 12, 11, 10 in this scenario. And then we figure, okay, what's the distance from the end of the first round for each of them? Add up to five, and that margin would tell you something. You want to expound on that, or does that make sense? I mean, I know it does. Fez, you want to maybe say something? Yeah, so surprisingly to me, the defense actually was closer than the offense to getting the five. Specifically, if you look in terms of the over-unders on those last five that the defense needs, their average over-under, just slightly above 28 for each of those players. For the offense, just below 29. So the defense more likely to be selected slightly than the offensive players on those last five picks on average. Okay. So all that talking was to say that when we did do that calculation, that the defensive teams uh, or the five defensive players had a better over under. It was a lower number, a superior number by about one slot, one one draft position per player. Yes. So about five draft positions. I agree. Okay. So now the question is, does that mean do we look at the defense? Which would be my preferred approach because, again, it's going against uh. Barney. I don't know if you'd have to send him a letter of condolences or anything, <laughs> like to say I ap- or an apology, I guess, but I don't. I don't. Me and Barney don't get along. <laughs> Dear Barney, I'm sending to Springfield's police station, figuring you'd be in jail. <laughs> hey, hey, Barney. Oh, wait, Barney, Barney Fife, though, on the old Andy Griffith show wasn't, the, he was the cop. Who was the, Otis was the drunk. I don't know, my mom loved that show. I never was, I was a fine with Andy Griffith, but I was too, you know, I was it was off the air before I was born, but my mom liked the repeats. But she watches the repeats of the uh, Leave It to Beaver. Really? Now. Hmm. And she actually plays them on DVD on, on steady repeat. <laughs> you think I'm kidding, but <laughs> what, what she'll do, it actually is a pretty smart move. So imagine, you know, you're uh, up there, you know, age-wise, and imagine you don't like the way... You know, I don't think many people in their, like, early 70s, like, love the direction of society, right? There's always a sense that things aren't the way they used to be. I think that's just with almost... Get off my lawn. Well, I think it's even the people who aren't the types to be aggressive or negative outwardly. There is a sense that, you know, boy, the way Glenn Miller played, you know, those were the days, as Archie Bunker would say, is everyone feels like their time was the days, you feel like that, right? How's the music today, Steve, compared to your the great music that you listen to? It's lousy because all the good songs and chords got used up in the 60s and 70s and 80s. Got used up, huh? Yeah. Mozart didn't use them up. <laughs> the Beatles did, though. <laughs> all right. Where did that, is that, are you, like, explain that to me. The used up, were, were you being sincere? Or, I'm being or? sincere. So, for instance, by example, Ice Ice Baby stole the intro from Under Pressure Queen. Okay. Da 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 da. Okay. It's the same identical song, first six seconds. Okay. So doesn't that 
contradict your point, meaning that you, they, that more than one person can use it and it still works? No, because that's like the exception to the rule, that Ice Ice so Baby you, so somehow you, got away with so, it. So you brought up the one example that contradicts your point to make your point. If there were dozens and dozens of songs like this, it would contradict my point because there's no, just no, no. one. What I'm saying it is does, I don't think it the one song, that song contradicts your point. Yes. And that's the one you brought up yes. to make your point. Yes. Explain. Because it was like the most, I don't know how they got away with it. It's like the same song for six so, seconds. But it, it contradicts your point. It's the same song, RJ. <laughs> okay. <sighs> Mackenzie, is the nurse coming? <laughs> she actually got a flat tire. Uh-huh. All right. So... <laughs> I think this approach, and again, we did this before the show. Oh, you you did some stuff before. Is I think what I want to do now that I'm thinking about this, this isn't a, I guess, linear, right? It's not like, okay, like a bell curve where if it's 26 and a half, there's going to be a certain chance that it's going to be 27, less of a chance of 28. I think the case could be made, though there's trades and stuff, that – with quarterback, you know, without trades, again, there there are trades, but if a team has a, a quarterback, like Miami, it seems like they've made a statement they're not going to draft a quarterback. If they're in a certain spot, it doesn't matter if the quarterback could have been taken in the spot before, they're not going to be taken there, and it might be – you see it sometimes. You hear it on the draft. If If so-and-so doesn't go here – I don't see any teams before 24. Mm -hmm. And I, I think the way, and Mackenzie, you can jump in on this. The better way to do this would be get, get like maybe at least 10, but I think 20 mocks. And did we find the aggregator, the, the best aggregator? I found one with 15. Okay. What's the guy's name? Fantasy Pros is the website. Okay. I, I've used that for different things. They do a good job. Um, you know, like doing the grunt work on some of this stuff. Um, I can't remember what it might have been. I think they actually had some NFL stats in a format that I liked. But um, I know there's others. If anyone knows, like, and, and there's one the PFF guys talk about. God, I thought it was Benjamin something. But, but all right, let's say 15. So now what we do is we say, okay, where we're looking, we know the people we're talking. In a way, we've got the people. We can at least use the over-unders to say these are the best, for, you know, because after 14, it doesn't matter for defense. After 19, it doesn't matter for offense. So we need to pick 19 offensive players and 14 defensive players, and we're not really picking them. We're taking the top 14 by the over-under for the defensive players and the top 19 for the offense. So now we've got our universe. You agree with that? Yes. Now, though it's possible that someone outside of there, uh, that someone that, that is, has an over-under of 55 is going to jump in, like a fifth quarter or a sixth quarterback. But we got to assume that's going to even itself out. And if it does, maybe take a gander at it after the, the, the initial analysis to see if there's any adjustment. I don't, if anything, I don't think there will, will need to be. Because I think once you get past the super skill positions, you know, the, there is one exception to that. And I should say it now. If you look at the 31st and the 32nd pick, 
They are prime spots. It used to be the thought was the 33rd pick, the people would want to trade up to that because there was a whole day. That hasn't been happening. But what has been happening is the 32nd, 31st, maybe the 30th, I haven't studied that, that a skill position player, there's a bias to take a skill position player where the fifth-year option is important. D-lineman, mm, doesn't matter as much. But if you have a quarterback, Dak Prescott, and a lot of these problems before the contract was signed stem from he only had four years. It wasn't a fifth-year option. And isn't it a coincidence that with uh, Clyde Edwards-Alaire, if that's the way, if that is his name, <laughs> he, the fact that he was taken as the last pick of the first round, a running back, so what have we seen with Zeke and almost all the backs? If you got the fifth-year option, and that's why they're so aggressive holding out, they understand this, then you tag them once, you got six years without really overpaying, right? Because if you got it, I mean, Zeke, uh, on on a, the first franchise tag would have been a fine deal. Remember, Zeke got paid after three years. Dallas wouldn't have had to pay him, given him a long-term deal. First of all, you could say the second tag would have been viable, but let's assume that isn't. That still gives you six years. Four years, 50-year option, one tag. So Dak is through what? Five years now. Mm -hmm. It would take a whole other year Assuming you tag him this year. I don't think you know if you would. So quarterbacks and running backs, I think there's a bias towards that late in the draft. Kenzie, you want to just take a gander at like 30, 31, 32, the last five years? Yeah, I want it. And um, so I do think, and again, that's point in offense. Otherwise, I think if you took the 15 draft choices or, or, or mocks and said, where does this player go? And then all you got to do is take that number. I think that's better, meaning the average. So, you know, actually that wouldn't be the way to do it. You know what, do you even need to take... You, 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 I'm sorry, but the way to do it would be is to actually take the numbers times 115. So let's say we did 10 just to keep it simple. So let's say you had uh, a guy that had three guys had him at 23, five had him at 25, and um, two had him at 36. So you would take, uh, let's say it was point, you know, point one for each one to get to the, you know, coefficient is one, I guess. So it'd be point three times 23, point five times 25, point two times 36. That's your number. Hmm. Because now it's not assuming a normal distribution, which an average would, but it's distributing, hey, here's here's the spectrum of, of expected outcomes. Makes sense. I wonder if you shouldn't do this twice. Make do one the way you describe mathematically, and the second one make it binary and just say, do they have them in the first round or not? Eight out of but, ten have them in the first round. Give them point an eighty an eighty percent. But that chance. assumes the decision between thirty two and thirty three has some special meaning, which it doesn't for these mock people, right? Yeah. I mean, if it did, like if it was like something where it was like a fifty year option, do they think this guy's good? Does right. it, is it a binary? I don't think it is though, right? It is ultimately the way we're going to count that up, but it's kind of arbitrary. Like if they said, hey, if they had a prop for the first forty picks of the draft. 
they could put a prop up for that just as simple, right? Mm -hmm. Okay. So you want to speak maybe a little bit, of not your cockamamie extra idea, but rather the one I just spent a lot of time talking about? Any thoughts on that? I think it would be a better model if you went ahead and, and ran all the numbers on this mock drafts and actually had the rankings that way because, let's face it, we're using the bookmakers' numbers here. Which I think the bookmakers' numbers are probably better than the mocks. It's just that the, that the variance, the distance for, between 32 and that bookmaker's number is not a normal distribution. Great point because, if, as an example, if we were just looking at quarterback, for instance, what's the over-under on, on Trey Lance? I think it's like six right now. But the overall average probably is higher than that because he's going to get taken, you know, fourth, fifth. Um, a lot of the time he's going to just barely go under, but he could get taken 12th. Exactly. Yeah, yeah I agree. Um, so, Mackenzie, you got the data. Yes, they caught on to it. So the first two years of the last five years, no talent, no skill position players selected in 31 and 32. The last three years. So, so draft slot 31 and 32. Yes. All right. The last three years, four of six players drafted in this 31-32 range, skill position players. Mm -hmm. I think that might throw this whole thing. Like, I don't think we can go under of, on offense with that factor. Yeah, that's a strong point that all things being equal. Because we're assuming at 32nd, one's 50-50, and it's not. And that's the one that could make or break. Yeah. Well, it probably um, will, yeah. right? Yeah. Because, I mean, your point was – the difference between 18, 18 and a half is gigantic. Exactly. And all the money, frankly, has been coming in on the offense. And I love what you, were, you, you mentioned off air, RJ. Wow. Maybe we should wait because this number went up from it was 17 and a half. Now it's all the way to 18 and a half. If we get a 19. Do we know that it was 17 and a half? Yeah, it was 17 and a half right when the numbers came out. Okay. I thought you said these. And when did the numbers come out? This is like three weeks ago. Okay, because I thought you said we were still early in the game on the draft props. Well, this is like one of the core oh, props they put out exactly. first. exactly, yeah. Um, okay, so I think there is a factor there with the skill position. And that skill position, was it all quarterbacks and running backs or wide receivers too? One wide receiver. Okay. All right. Okay, so... Matty Holt, now this was six days ago on Straight Out of Vegas, and the number I'm pretty sure was 18 at this point, and uh, we have a back and forth on it. I did like him being contrary here, but let's listen first. So, RJ, the NFL Draft is coming up in a couple of weeks from now, and we have got a best bet as we approach the NFL Draft from Matty Holt. Yeah, this guy sits at the intersection of the bookmakers, the bettors, the regulators. And he's, his mind's like the Borg on the old Star Trek, just sucking it all in. And now let's hope we can get a winner out of him. So I like, uh, you know, most books either have this over or under, or, you know, who's going to have uh, 18 and a half for offensive players. Okay, so the number of offensive players in the first round. Versus, yes, versus the number of defensive players. And, and it's, it's, you know, it's two different markets, but they're both the same. So, but sometimes they're mispriced. So it's either over for the defensive players or under for the offensive players. But I went under 18 and a half plus 110 uh, off. Offensive players, and the theory is this is usually a 50-50 split. Now, and I would agree to that. Typically, with the 32 picks, it's around 16 is the number. Typically, yes. Well, this year, because 
you know, five, basically five of the first six picks are going to be quarterbacks. And, and then, you know, one of those is also going to be Kyle Pitts, the tight end from Florida. Those numbers got drastically misconstrued. And if you look at the end of the draft, everyone, Mel Kuypers, whoever, like five of the last six picks are supposed to be defensive players. And in the middle, it's about to be even. I think it's probably going to be 16 or 17 offensive players this year, not 16-16 necessarily. But they're pricing it so heavy offense because of the first seven picks of the draft that there's a lot of value betting under 18 and a half on the offensive players. Okay, so if there's 18 offensive players, you win. If there's 19 or more, you lose. Correct. And you're getting plus money, so plus 110. So even if this were 50-50, you still got a good bet. Yep. I'm a little skeptical, and I haven't done all the math. Now, have you looked at like the five most respected mocks and mm-hmm. did a count? And what's it coming to? It's about 18, 14, 17, 15. So it's about 17 and a half offense. On average. Okay. Hmm. Because the thing we know is those offensive players at the front are locks. Mm-hmm. We don't know on that 25th pick exactly. Sure. Who's, so it does feel like you probably have the right side, but I can see where it But might most be. drafts, the top of the draft is offensive players. But not like this. I mean, having five it's quarterbacks in the year. first eight. Yeah. I mean, and then, like you said, Pitts for sure. But the, the idea of having five first-round quarterbacks isn't unheard of. This isn't that irregular for a draft. No, and, and I get in your point, which is the perception of yes. it. I'm going to ask Jonas what he thinks of this. I'm going to say one thing that concerns me, though, too, about it. A lot of theories on the most advanced NFL guys last season was – Defense doesn't matter. That effectively, that the offense matters. Because remember, Tampa Bay won it, obviously. They were clearly the fourth best team in the Final Four. Any power ratings in the world, did you see one power rating that had Green Bay below Tampa Bay? No. One power rating had Buffalo behind Tampa Bay. It just wasn't the case, right? But of the four teams well, left who had the best defense? Tampa Bay. Yeah. That's my point, is if it, it coming into the Final Four, there was a real sense that defense didn't matter. Now, does Tampa and that dominating performance change the mentality of the league? What do you think, Jonas? I think you're going to have to probably sweat it out a little bit, especially because there's going to be a run. <laughs> That's on, for sure. Well, because there's going to be a run on so many offensive players, as, as Maddie pointed out, to start the draft, that you're going to hit a lull. There's going to be a bunch of defensive players. If this were me that were, that were making this pick, knowing my luck, I would be sitting at like 17 or 18, and then two teams would trade back into the first round and take offensive players, and I'd lose. <laughs> like that's, that's, that's my luck, but, you know. Now, what's interesting, and that's Jonas Knox, we're straight out of Vegas, is this is a bookie's bet. Because imagine what a bookie says. He says, you can have bet any – I'm going to put a board of games behind me. You can pick anyone you want, whenever you want it. Bet as much as you want, as little as you want. Just give me minus 110. That's all the bookies want. <laughs> you're saying, you're right, this could happen, this could happen. This, but mathematically, it's about a 50-50 Maybe a little towards the under. And by the way, I'm plus 110, so I'm fine. Yeah. This is a bookie's <laughs> bet right here. Matty, hold everyone. So the question is, we're back on uh, the pod. The question is, I don't see this going down. So if you do like the under, which I'm not sure I do, but again, maybe with this analysis, we might like the over. But again, I'm not going to play that at a bad number. So this feels like after all of this that I'd probably like to go over. Now, that's an interesting question. I know line value and all that, but you would, if you had 18, let's say, uh, and I think it was minus 130 to the over when Maddie had it. Um, he had the under, though, so he was getting the plus money. Uh, if you had that number right now, 18 over 30, you'd go over? I would. And I'd make a big bet also. 
because this is just because the market is so sharp. And I, and the distribution, I think, if the market, if eighteen and a half, which is the current number, is correct, I'll go as far as to say, well, yeah, but. The, but why would we think the current number is correct if the number that was current six days ago isn't correct? I get lines get sharper, but not always. And also, it's in theory, it could boomerang. But again, this is such a public bet. Very few people. I, I don't see it boomeranging. I see it leaking I agree. slightly I agree. more. But if I do it on a distribution function, but you know back of the envelope. You know something? This is an interesting point. If you know which direction something's going in, it's not an efficient market. Mm. Efficient market theory says the following. And again, I was in finance school at the time. This was gospel. I never believed in it because I was a Warren Buffett guy. You know, the kind of guy can be, they can beat the market. But the belief is all information is built into the price. All known information, publicly known information is built into the price. Thus, if... The bookies or whoever the market maker is, and in this case, the market maker, when you have a two-sided market like this, is going to be the batters themselves effectively, though, see, that's an interesting debate too because there is discretion where in an exchange there's not. But that's minutia for this uh, conversation at least. Is it should have an equal chance to go up or down. Because if there was a bias towards it going up, it should already be skewed in that direction, accounting for the future action, right? Mm-hmm. That's the efficient market. How efficient is this? A semi-efficient market? It's a well, obviously it's semi-efficient. It's not random. Yeah, <laughs> I'm. I'm just saying it's not completely efficient. Well, you, and- you're not just saying. Yeah, I mean, but that is it a somewhat efficient market or what? Well, I've noticed this with a, with a lot of props. I, I use NFL season wins, for example, that the first movement on an NFL season win is largely predictive. Not always, but all things being equal, if I see a, if I see a team's line to eight and a half and their season win number goes to nine, and you ask me, is it more likely it's going to go up to nine and a half or down, back down to eight and a half? I'd say it's more likely more of the same to just continue to move in the direction it has already moved when it moves early on in the process. And I, I think you read the market as well as any anyone, but I also think it's a sign of an inefficient market, which, again, I like that the market is inefficient because if it weren't, we couldn't beat the VIG. Yes. So I, it's kind of weird the people that worship at the altar of the efficiency of the market they're trying to beat. But, again, I guess there's some rationale that's above me. Okay. Mackenzie, what do you think? Anything to close here? I think it's huge that 18, 18 and a half, 19, we were talking earlier, Fez, about how in drafts specifically, a half line move can be you know bigger than you would think. And I've got an estimate here of, of what the distribution function would be. <laughs> distribution function. And, <laughs> and, and the estimate is you're guessing. <laughs> Yeah, I think you that use the phrase this is distribution function, but you're you're back of the envelope guess, yes. Okay, so back of the envelope is the back of the envelope calculation. So it's assuming there's numbers being calculated. This isn't back of the envelope. This is somewhere for you to write it down so you don't forget <laughs> from the time you guessed to when you talk. Yes. Continue. All right. Given 18 and a half is correct, which we're not sure it is, I would think 18 would land about 35% of the time, 19, 35% of the time, and then the outliers, less than 18, 15%, more than 19, 15%. Do those sound about right to you? No. 
No, I think it's too tight. Just because this, I mean, if we just look at, I mean, think about it. We have five, this could swing five. So let's say we're coming down to the last five and it goes 0 for 5 one way or the other. 18 would be 13, right? Or 18 could be 23, right? If it went 5 and 0. Each of these are coin. I mean, it's almost like the, the, the fifth ones for each one is like coin flip. And now that we have five on both sides, in theory, it could go 10, right? By just having five on both sides, you could go all offense on the one five. And oh, I guess, hold on a second. All five of those could not, I guess it's only a five range because all five of those could make it out of the first round and then all five. So really there's 10 players, five offense, five defense, that, that amongst those 10, five are going to make the first round. So it could swing by five in each direction. I, so when I said 10, I, 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 that was incorrect, but five in each direction. But they were only one slot off on average offense and defense. So it's not that crazy if you flip. I mean, it's really almost saying it's like a 55% coin to the defense being flipped five times. I mean, four and one isn't that strange. You're, you're right about that. You know, what's interesting, I'd ask you, four of the last five guys in on offense are wide receivers. Okay. And I have to think to myself. No, see, there's runs on receivers. Yeah. Like when the position groups will actually have runs because when they see, uh-oh, two tackles just went, anyone thinking maybe I wait till the next round to get a tackle further down the list. Mm-hmm. They'll reach a little bit to say who knows what's going to be left at the end of two. That's a good point because I was thinking it like it's awfully hard to take like they talk about take the best player available and now you got the you know you're you're a wide receiver that's clearly every the, the two other teams have picked wide receivers that they think are better than the wide receiver you're about to take but you're right now the wide receivers are running out so it's interesting. Yeah, I think the thing you know this is in. The next pod will come out the day before the draft. So, yeah, but who knows if you're listening in time before the draft, meaning uh, here's the str- one of the strongest things I feel in a calendar year. We, as professional or as batters, professional batters, talk show guys, even former GMs, even the freaking GMs themselves. No one knows how good these drafts are. They don't even know a year. I mean, you have an idea a year later, but you can't really assess it. Here's what I know. Every team, unless they put in an incorrect pick, like actually do a data entry error, had their perfect draft given the circumstances. Because every time... They had a universe of players to choose from, and they chose exactly the player they wanted. How can you do better than that? Now, you could have wished there were other players there, but they weren't. So given the givens, that team left saying we had the best possible draft we could. Right? Can anyone dispute that? No. So if everyone feels like they did the best possible draft, made the best possible selections they could... How in the heck could a Mel Kuyper or anyone, and again, give Kuyper credit for making a career, but how could anyone know better? First of all, you got to think you know better than Bill Belichick, better than Colbert, better than whatever, whomever. And then football, 
And then you got to, on top of that, also know the team's needs. You know, like the, the, the running back whose knee's starting to go and no one knows. Exactly. The internal stuff of, wow, we squeezed every single bit out of that linebacker and he's done. We need to replace him this year. And that's insight the GM has that outsiders Yes. Do. And plus, let's be candid, GMs make a lot more money than draft guys. Uh, you look at the Raiders guy. He was at the NFL Network. He was super respected, but he's – effectively the GM, but he has, you know, my understanding is Gruden has all the power. Uh, Mayock is the fellow and he's still as happy as a lark to be the, you know, figurehead GM. I mean, I'm sure he, he's got real contribution, but he's not the authority. By the way, Grizzlies up 21-9 over the Clippers. 21-9. to I'm going to get a Phoenix Suns fathead. What percentage are you giving me on your win? You're, we're, we're, we're partners. We're fitty-fitty. No, 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 no. I came up with the pick. You followed. I'll get my money. You'll get yours. Then you'll take some of yours and give me a cut. Seems <laughs> seems reasonable to me. Yeah, it does. But, I mean, I think 10% at minimum. By the way, I think um, you, you talked me into my distribution functions too tight. I redid it. I'm going to use 25% for 18 and 19. Oh, 25% cool. for the tails. And the, the reason. The function, yes. So, Was so, that back of the napkin? I didn't have any napkin, but go ahead. <laughs> Back of the note card. So if you can play over, if 18 and a half is correct, you play over 18, that's a 67% bet. If you can play under 19. It's another made-up number, though. I don't know about these numbers. That, well, well, that's given Let's these go. assumptions. So I'm just saying that's how valuable it is that a half game. Let's agree to the following. Worth 90 that, The half game is going to be super valuable. I'll, I'll give you an example, I think. And this is one, speaking of Colbert, this is an old Colbert from – uh, Cantor, you know, the guy got in a lot of heat, gave me this one back in the day. And I think it's a good one, if you think about it, is when you have a team that's supposed to, like Alabama in college football. So let's say they're playing 11 games. When the win total is 10 and a half, you know, you go to 10, you almost have a sure push if you go over. You go to 11, you can't win, <laughs> right? Yeah. So, I mean, that's an extreme case, but... Even in some of the higher ones where it's like one and a half wins, you know, where it's like 12, or I guess stay with 11 for a second, and then say nine and a half, I guess 11 stupid. So go 12 and say 10 and a half. So there's two games that matter, right? It could be 12 and 0, 11 and 1, 10 and 2. But still, he says, you know, at the time he said he thought that's worth 100 cents, maybe. And in the NFL, which has tight ranges, but still there's more range. Uh, you know, 50 to 55 cents, a half a win? Um, yes, but now 50 cents because we added a 17th game, so it's got to be worth a little bit less. Yeah, you're good at those kind of calculations. All right, this is the Dream Preview. Any closing thoughts on this? I think we're good. All right. Uh, one thing I want to say, and I think this is actionable, is when it comes to the draft market, specifically the more popular ones like Mac Jones – where we go, Woney, or third pick, is this is one of the disciplines whenever you're betting something that isn't typical, it's not just a game, is what are you betting? In this case, we're betting what? What an individual team or the decision makers on that team are going to decide. So now the question is, well, how do you ascertain that? Well, you look at the history maybe of the decision makers. You look at the current situation. You look at leaks. You look at motivations why leaks could happen or why they would happen. Colin Cowherd 
on the herd said, I think quite incorrectly, and we talked about it that day on FSR on Straight Out of Vegas, is he said, why would San Francisco, a team that didn't leak when they signed their GM or hired their GM, didn't leak when they traded up to three, why would they leak here? And my thinking was, there was three reasons. I think the last two are much less important. The most important one was, this is was going to be a controversial pick. If it is Mac Jones, a lot of people think it's absurd. Now, there's no one that's in a position where there's popularity matters because, again, owners like winning because winning is popular. If you're unpopular, even if you're winning, that's not a good thing. And if you start losing, forget about it. So what is a communication strategy if you have something that's unpopular or it's going to be seemingly be a shock is you inoculate, yes, people against the shock. And this is something, and again, I think it's well known as a communicator, I think one of the things Trump was able, you know, his ability with, you know, a, back in the day, a Twitter account and his words to effectively become president and a jet to become president with that pretty much never has happened before. The guy was persuasive or the guy at least messaged in a way that worked for him at minimum. But something that Trump would do, and you see this all the time, is they would announce, it was during the Russiagate thing, is the idea that, hey, uh, I guess he's going to um, actually uh, pardon himself. You know, that, that rumor went out. It's like, why pardon you? And then you have constitutional scholars talking about it and everything. And then it's like like three weeks later, it's like, uh, oh, no, he just pardoned those two people. That would have been the most extreme that you could have thought reasonable. But then he said, I'll float, you know, again, speculation. He floats something that's even a step further out than that. Everyone's scared of that. Then something happens. You know, say like telling the wife, listen, when I go to Vegas for the weekend, I know this is going to seem like a lot, but I think I'm going to sleep with five different prostitutes. And then it's like, what? And it's like, then finally it ends up being, no, it's actually my ex-girlfriend from LA that drove in. Just one though. <laughs> it's like, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, but it's a funny example, but it really works. So sometimes, now in this case, it wasn't more extreme, but it was get the conversation out there because what on earth in today's uh, news ecosystem do people stay outraged about for more than a week? Right? Sports, news. I mean, think about it, Mackenzie. What even Trump with one outrage from, you know, his detractors after the other, it never lasted more than a couple of days. Never. I mean, the only one you could say that they kept, you know, well, you could say a handful, like the his initial speech with the Mexicans. Yeah. Uh, you could make the case that the. Uh, but are they ups are they outraged over it or are they reference it? Yeah, it's a it? good point. It's a good point. I, I think that's one people do feel it, hmm. uh, and it, it doesn't matter. But in general, ninety nine percent. When I say it doesn't matter for this conversation, ninety nine percent of them came and went. And it's hard to remember them now. And it's just human nature. I mean, think about it. Death, right? <laughs> I mean, but, but seriously, when someone dies that you care. Now, listen, if, you know, not, there's a couple situations that, you know, maybe a person never gets over it. And, you know, you got to be, 
you know, we got to give that deference to that. But even when a parent dies, you know, at a normal age, a grandparent when you're, you know, typically going to be younger, but you were super close to, I mean, is it what? I mean, certainly within the month, typical, if you're in typical grief recovery, you're going to be laughing and having fun. It's not like you're not going to think, you know, and, you know, I'm sure there's studies on this, but I would make the case, uh, you know, the two funerals for me that were super tough and, you know, both were grandparents, but they were like, you know, second parents to me. Uh, I'd say that night there was a real sense of like, you know, you got through the, you know, this service and you got, th- and there's like a, uh, and yeah, you know, you're back on the plane, you're, it's just human nature. If, if not, we couldn't survive because like you're going to be, you know, you get to be a certain age and then you're losing people, you know, from there on. And I mean, you know, my grandfather was one of those people for me. And I started thinking he had like five siblings and I don't think I met any of them. They were all dead before I was like born or yeah, I think. And then it was like his parents went, I never met them. I, you know, great grandparents. It's like, there was like, before I was cognizant, you know, as a 10-year-old or whatever, he had maybe, I don't know, 10, 12 deaths that were like the type that I'm talking about. And, you know, he stormed the beaches of Normandy, literally. So how many people of his, you know, platoon or whatever died there? I don't know. But, like, he, it was just not a conversation. And I, and I think that's a daunting thing to think about is if you're younger is is how much of the inevitability of that is coming and for me you know reaching the age where that's you know be, you know more viable it, if it knocked you down for a year then you're going to be knocked down pretty much from here on and it's funny cuz part of me thinks that that's more virtuous part you know like there are, I guess there's certain things you shouldn't get over maybe but I don't know. Maybe that's just stupid. That's maybe that's something that I've you know, I I guess it's a longer conversation. But swinging it back, swinging it back to, hey, something gets to be, it's it's hard for something to be extreme when it exists, and the act of talking about it makes it exist. It's it's now in our minds, and the first time you say it. Can you, you know, think about Trump becoming president. I mean, that the very act of him becoming president, it was like, you know, if you were a supporter or not, it was like, can you believe right. this effing dude's the president? Like saying either as a supporter or not, it was like a shock. It was, you know, but then, you know, three months later, it, it wasn't that, right? It was different, but it wasn't that. So anyway, I think San Francisco... If they and, and just do a thought experiment, Fez. Everyone's saying, is it Justin uh Fields? Fields. Is it Justin Fields? Is it Trey Lance? Is it whomever? Mackie. Or 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 yeah. If if the night of the draft, if it was like and what and it, there was no sense that it wasn't gonna be either Trey Lance or um Fields. Fields. There was no sense that it wasn't them in this hypothetical, one of those two. With the third pick in the 2021 NFL draft, the San Francisco 49ers take Mac 
Jones, Alabama. What's your first thought? What, what's the first reaction? And again, not so much in the hall, but on Twitter amongst, you know, text chains. Question what the heck they're doing. Yeah, I think it's a, I think it's a shocker. What do you think, Mackenzie? Absolute shocker. People will be like, you could have taken him at 12 or later. Yeah, yeah. Now, if somehow you got to wonder how much of the reevaluation of Mac Jones is driven by people who love Shanahan and don't want to contradict him and how much of it would have happened otherwise. But what I know is to whatever sense that this was a dangerous pick, this was a reckless pick, getting it out there and part of the conversation is going to mute that significantly. And thus it makes sense. And I think the second, third reason quickly is see how Mac Jones does with the spotlight on him, right? Cause all this attention, he could have blown up. And also you want him to know this wasn't an easy, or this wasn't a hard decision that from the start, they traded up with the intention of getting you and you're our quarterback, which means more to a guy who's going to feel overwhelmed, no doubt than if it felt like they were going, eh, yeah. What do you think of all that, guys? I think the draft day movie basically documented that where they Sonny went ahead and took someone that no one expected, coincidentally named Mac as well, and the you know everyone in the audience was almost <gasps> you know the Cleveland fed the owner slams down the, the the jersey you know and 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 storms out of there to get on his private plane to go fire him and just everyone in complete and utter disbelief and shock what what's he doing? No, I I think in general he should have laid the groundwork. <laughs> But I guess with all those trades, who knows? All right, let's listen. Now, the other thing, you know, we kind of got off track a little, but the point I was going to make about what you're betting is you're betting that assessment by the decision makers. And unless they are the source, a lot of these swings in these odds, there's really no rhyme or reason to it. There is, it just doesn't feel particularly correlated, meaning... There's things like, oh, look, it's Justin Fields' pro day, his second one. Oh, look, Shanahan's there. Oh, look, oh, he surges. You know, this was literally from uh, minus almost 200 Mac Jones. I guess it was 200. Then all the way to Fields being minus 200. And now taping here on Wednesday, it's back to like uh, Jones minus 180. I think even at the current number, it's a, it's a really good bet. Now, Hitman did this a day early, and he had Mac Jones to go third, but it was plus 150. So we can debate if it's still a good bet at the current number or whatever the number is when you're listening. <laughs> but the analysis will be the same and valuable from the Hitman. Let's listen. Best bet, Mac Jones to be the third pick, plus 150. I like this one all the way up to minus 200. Now... I personally laid minus 200, and the line's gotten away from me, but I don't see why. Adam Schefter, Daniel Jeremiah, Mike Lombardi, Chris Mortensen, all some of the most respected insiders in the NFL, all still believe that Mac Jones is going to be the third overall pick to the Niners. Just because Justin Fields had a pro day and Trey Lance had his pro day, we saw the lines drastically shift their way. 
But I don't see that as a reason for the line move. As I said, have all the top insiders saying that they like Jones to still be the third pick. If I'm going to have my money on this event, I'm going to be trusting the top insiders in the league. And I think that public perception that Jones isn't worth this pick is inflating the price for Fields and Lance, which is exactly why we're going to go Jones. Best bet, Mac Jones, third overall pick, plus 150, good to minus 200. Okay. Do you agree, Matt? So minus 150, Faz, do you still like Mac Jones? I do. The more, so How big of a bet do you have at plus 150? Not a big bet at all. So you got a bet? Tiny. And not a plus 150. I got nothing at plus 150. So what's changed? What, how has your thoughts evolved? I agree with the analysis that you're giving. I'm getting at it late. I'm getting at it after they flip back over to the, being the favorite. I think I laid like minus 135 for like peanuts because I was like so disgusted I didn't get a better number. So to me, I think you look to, to, to bet against the moves. You know, when it's about sentiment, when it's about the public sentiment, when it's about the media's presentation, in general, fade those, right? I, you know, you could easily have both fields. Or you can have all three of the viable quarterbacks going third at plus money with no problem at all. No problem. Just say, whenever Sports Center's leading with it, we're betting against it. Let it settle, and the next morning, bet against it. Same thing the other way. And, you know, you could have just kept getting chunks and plus money. All right. Dave Esler has, ooh, he's laying the lumber here. Dave Esler has a best bet in the draft. Remember, last year, Fez had 17, 17 draft bets. Now, coincidentally, was it a coincidence, Steve, that you know, the pandemic was on, you weren't betting it, you know, any games and the monthlies were coming in, you know, you're, you're not, as they say, and you said, huh, I think there's some real attractive bets in the, I mean, that's another Barney at the bar move. Wouldn't you say now let's be candid. The mofo went 15 and two. I think it might be the worst thing that ever happened to him. Because one, he might have needed to borrow money. I could have been juicing him still, two points a week. Or, but no, seriously, is you did something out of desperation and it won. That's always bad. It's all. It's better to get beat that first time doing it and learn your lesson. What do you think? No doubt. And if if nothing else, it's a com- condemnation of my prior years where I almost. Bet no, nothing on no, the draft, no, no. right? I'm listening to your draft analysis. Less than nothing might be the move. Hmm. I, I don't. In fact, I might want to. It's interesting. You said you've already got how many picks? Uh, five. Wait a minute. On the radio, you said you had like nine or 11. No, I didn't. Did not. You said five. that the over under was 11 and a half. Oh, what I was five. going to. Yeah. I said an over under 11 and a half of how many I'll make. So you have five picks. Now, how many of you now you now the only time you don't release with your all access is when um it's not readily available, right? Yeah, that's right. So how many of these did you release? None. None of them were readily available. They're only at one book. Okay. And what book was this? Circa. Okay. And are you and you're sure they're not at a lot of other places? I'm sure. Okay. 
right. But you, as you start, as the stuff that's at Circa becomes available at other places, you're, then if the number's still right, you're going to be releasing your, your uh, all-access people. Exactly right. At pregame.com. Okay. Um, yeah, I'm always leery when, like, public information is this, you know, like if someone says Jeff Sagarin's ratings is the way to beat this, I'm like, huh, that's in the USA Today, right? And in general, when I hear counting up mocks, I'm skeptical. But there's one time that history tells us that it's gold. Not gold like a short thing, but gold like rock solid. And it's the following. It's the last mock from the key people, the people you trust, whoever that is. Because what ends up happening is they finally, when the, the organizations make their decision, their contacts give it to them. So you'll see, like, this safety wasn't anywhere in the first round, and now they're 22 going to the Raiders. And it's like they know. And we did uh, an initial study on that last year, McKenzie, and, and those moves that happened, you know, the moves that happened throughout all the weeks leading up to the draft won last year. And, again, that's why Fez won because, again, it was very public, I think. But who knows? It might have been super sharp. 17 draft picks, dra- draft pads. But the ones that were like the out of nowhere on the last mock, the last 24 hours, if I recall, they were gold again last year. Eight and two against their closing over under. Okay, so that eight and two was from the, the wacky, the out of left field changes. It wasn't from, do we have something or did I misunderstand that? Did we have anything on just the general moves in the weeks leading up to the draft? No, we just did two weeks oh, out okay, and then okay. the last one. Okay. All right. So I, I don't think it's so much two weeks. I think decide who you trust. And it only needs to be in one place. In fact, it's probably going to be in one place. It's just – and it's art, not science. Where does it feel like this is out of nowhere? You know, because if someone's done six mocks, seven mocks, and now they've got someone in there that they never had for a team, where could – that couldn't be. They finally had the aha moment – Right? It's going to be that they got info. Right. Right? Why else would they pick someone they didn't pick the other six times? I, I, I think that's really strong. You see a guy in the middle of the second round, and Eichenberg goes from 44 and a half, and then boom, they've got him going well, 34th. Yeah, this has nothing to do with what the over-under is. Has nothing, it could go up or down uh, from the over-under. It has to do with the individual who's doing the mock that's in the universe of mocks that you trust. So let's say Mel Kuyper. So Mel Kuyper's picking for Pittsburgh, wherever the pit, you know, wherever the Pittsburgh choice is, twenty or early twenties, whatever it is. Okay, now he does five mocks, and he doesn't have this defensive tackle that he puts in the last mock. So the most important one, the one he'll get graded on effectively, all of a sudden it's someone that might have been somewhere else, might have been, but like why would the last one, when you've had a chance to iterate through, because what they try to do is cover their asses. One. They don't want to have the same thing every, you know, every two weeks or three weeks when they release it on Get Up. They want there to be noteworthy stuff going on. Mm-hmm. And they want to say they had it once. And then they'll say, yeah, you know, I had that in my fourth mock. <laughs> That's true. Right? So it, it makes sense they're going to rotate through. Mm. If they don't, through the ones they think are viable, if they put someone in the most important mock that wasn't considered viable on any of the prior mocks, it's information. It's f- what final answer and who wants to be a millionaire? That's my final answer. Okay, let's get to the best bets. We got one more before we get to Steve. 
I was hinting at it. Then we got talking. Diamond Dave Esler, Uncle Dave. He's laying the lumber, as I said. And it's on the first running back drafted. Let's listen. I love it. I bet Najee Harris, first running back drafted at minus 150. And yeah, I think it would be cool to pick at the end and try to outthink the room. But let's face it. Alabama players under Saban are more prepared for the NFL. A short list of running backs would be Mark Ingram, Eddie Lacy, Kenyon Drake, Josh Jacobs, Derrick Henry. What running backs has Clemson sent to the NFL? C.J. Spiller, serviceable for a year or two. Look at who might be drafting a running back. If it's Miami, we know the Flores Saban connection. If it's the Steelers, they think highly enough of Bama players to give up a first-round pick for Minka Fitzpatrick. Or could it be the Jets at 23, unless they draft protection for Zach Wilson? If it's none of the above, the easy argument, Eddie Ann played the defensively challenged ACC. And what they do in big games, Eddie Ann ran for 32 yards against Ohio State. Harris ran for 79, also caught seven passes against Ohio State. In the receiving game, Harris had three drops in 100 career targets. He just creates mismatches everywhere he lines up. And I bet minus 150 that Najee Harris will be the first running back off the board. Wow, that's interesting. The reason I'm a little skeptical with this one, see, I don't even know how you can know this one because if, if, if it, it feels like a team is going to be interested in a particular type of back, you know, there's a range of them. And unless you know which – now, if you say, I'm going to parlay this somehow, mm-hmm. I know it's going to be Tampa Bay and they're going to take – that makes sense, but it seems so team-based. Okay. Okay. Let's see what Fez has. Don't know about the future. That's anybody's guess. Ain't no good reason for getting all depressed. Fire up your pad and pencil. I give you a piece of my mind. So you got two of them. One, now, how's your record in the FCSSCCS? 10 and 3. Wow. Wow. And... Well, I'm going to be interested to hear this analysis. Continue. All right. I'm on Missouri State plus seven and a half at North Dakota. Now, this is the first round of the playoffs. This is a playoff game. If you look at the pure power ratings on both these teams, this spread makes complete sense. Should be six on a neutral, one and a half for home field. North Dakota, minus seven and a half. That's what the line is. So why do I like Missouri State? It's all about the fact North Dakota has not played in over a month. They had a two-week period where they had COVID protocol situation, had a couple players test positive, and then after they got over that, then they had two opponents opt out in their games against them. So I've got a team that hasn't played in over a month that's playing Missouri State. I think the rust will be there. The disruption is certainly there. And it's not like Missouri State's tired. Missouri State didn't have to play last week, so I'm on Missouri State plus the 7.5. How has this line moved? It opened eight. It's moved half a point downward. Okay. I don't know. It just it always befuddles me how something so obvious is in, especially in the playoffs, you think. But I guess you know what the power rating should be. All right. So you say you got a second best bet. What's that? Alabama wide receiver Smith to go over 11 and a half in the draft. So he has to not get picked in the first 11. And what's happening is that initially Smith was picked in a lot of the mock drafts to go 10th or 11th. And the latest mock drafts, he's fallen out of favor. He's been dropping in them to 12, 13, 14. In fact, he was the clear-cut 
number two wide receiver to go in the mock drafts. Now, many of the mock drafts have Waddle going before him as the second wide receiver. With that momentum against Smith, I'm going over 11 and a half. So whenever there's a public mark, uh, a public information that seems to be something that we're betting, or I'm not betting this one, but I'm always, again, skeptical of that. I think here it makes more sense because you have that second market where it's Waddle versus Smith where you're seeing that movement. But that isn't as evident. Uh, if, if you're reading the betting market, you see it. And if you're reading the mocks, you're seeing the other element that he's falling you know, out of favor, dropping a little bit, Smith. I think one or the other isn't enough because, like, if you said, well, just the betting one, heads up, well, which, which market is more efficient? I don't know. Right, the heads up with Waddle, or is it anti-Waddle? Mm. You know, I don't know. But you add in both of them that there's a move in the public markets, or not the public markets, but the public draft, you know, mocks, mock drafts, is that isn't something that's going to be eye-popping, right? If he's if he's ten in one and he's 12, 13 the other, you're going to kind of say, ah, oh, down arrow. But you add them up. And the market itself, the actual market on the over-under has only moved a little bit, and you've got moves, or at least cause to think the moves happening, the sentiment, from two different sources. I see it. I see it. But in general, if you can just, if you can just do it on, if you can just go open up, if you can go to a web page and get the info for free, and it's like widely known, it's hard to think that's the way to be alone any serious batting market. Would you agree with that? I would, yes. I think this is the case that's probably valid. All right, so we got a couple things here for you. One, when we started the pod, we ended up having an interesting, let's say, non-sports uh, talk. And we're going to put that at the very end. And then next up, we're going to have... The discussion about Billy Walters. And I'll tell you, this, Fez was there, Maddie Holt. This was one, I learned, I mean, I can promise you this, I learned a number of things about Billy just from this discussion. Enjoy. And we'll be back next week. And by the way, I might tweet out a few of my draft picks. So at RJ in Vegas, if you're not following. And uh, remember, don't be shy about subscribing. It helps the show to the podcast. Just subscribe, it's free, and then you know right when the show's available. So we got Billy Walters, then a little, you know, lifestyle stuff, and we'll be back next week. Enjoy. But think about that, guys, for a second. If your team picked up uh, Zeke, picked up, you know, just pick one of these guys, Barkley, you'd say, yeah. Well, Vegas says your team just got a point and a half better. Fez just said the Giants got two points better. It's hard to say that was an underreaction. Yes, and the other two guys were Tyreek Hill and Mike Evans, wide receivers. Now, was Evans on that list before last week? Yes, uh, he was. All right. He's he's had the flu. Because that's, that's six guys. You said there were five. I added Julio Jones. Oh, okay, okay. And what led you to do that? Him signing the contract? I think him single-handedly winning the game against the Eagles. Well, you took that game seriously. You were just dying to bet Atlanta the next week, weren't you? Don't bring that up. <laughs> so what's your power rating say? But on the Giants in Washington, where if you just did the simple math. Yeah, so simple math, Washington's minus six and a half, Giants are minus six. So I, I do have the Giants a half point better, but the Giants, I only give two for home field. 
Okay, so what we're saying here is we're getting three in the Super And that's part of this. The market right now is more towards, what, 2.6? Yeah, 2.68. <laughs> All right. And so to me, this is a and, and this is the last piece of my handicap. If the market's saying it should be a little above two and a half and I'm getting three and I've got the most overreacted to two teams in each direction, I can't not pick it. I don't like what I don't like any of it. I don't care. I have to. Any disagreements? No, I don't disagree. Well, I mean, it's easy to make the case that the Washington Redskins, uh, you know, defense has been terrible, allowing 94 points in three games. You know who's been worse? The New York Giants, allowing 97 points in three games. And the number 30, number 31 ranked YPP allowed at 6.8 yards allowed per play. New York Giants, second worst in the NFL, only team worse than Miami Dolphins. I could only side with the Redskins here for sure. And ba- back to public perception, RJ, Tampa Bay has a chip shot 30-yard field goal to win that game against the Giants despite all that Daniel Jones did. What would mm, the spread be one. if the Giants were staring at 0-3 after having lost the game, which they should have at in the final seconds? That's a good point. That's a very good point. We forget that this is not an abstraction for most people. It's not W's on a piece of paper, especially the ATS part. It's it's getting paid or not, right? So, last question. New thing, and we'll tease it for next week. I want to know the biggest upgrades and downgrades in your power ratings because I'm going to look to fade the, the, the adjustments. I think just even you, as a wise guy, overreact to what you see. And I think I, I just you're going to do it less than almost anyone. I still think you're going to do it. You want to see it um, teams with key injuries and teams without key injuries. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Key injuries to me are not. That's an informational adjustment. Like Jets, for instance. Yeah. What I would do is assume everyone who's going to play this season's playing. Then mm-hmm. who have you adjusted? Right. So, for example, how much have you adjusted Washington? Because I'm going to make the point Washington came in the year not one of the worst teams. They were in that clear next tier. I'm guessing they were somewhere 22 to 25. You know, they were, and then money poured in against them right be- before So this is, again, post. you not believing your opinion. I thought they had the third lowest season win Their, their season win closed like under six, lay minus 140, yeah. but it was six and a half for a long time. Okay, so I'm asking, though, what your power ratings were. Oh, I had a minus four and a half. Okay, and again, to me, it's always a one to thirty-two. Re- relative, one second. I had one, two. Wow, I had him number thirty, RJ. You had him thirty. Yes. Well, then I, I'm confused. No, no, I believe you. Mm-hmm. I, I'm confused about. I guess I'm just thinking of all the teams I heard that were the worst teams. Right, so we knew Miami. Yeah, Arizona. We knew Arizona. Giants. But apparently you had Washington worse than the Giants? Had them tied, both at minus four and a half. Okay. Who else was tied there? Oakland was better than these teams? I had Oakland minus four. They still had Antonio Brown at the time. Uh-huh. And who else was in the mix? Cincy minus four. Okay. Yeah, I guess maybe if we're assuming that we're only going by half-point increments, that you, a team could be 30 or they could be 26 by a half a point, Right. right? All right. I just didn't – maybe it's just narrative. I just didn't feel like they thought Washington was one of the worst. And I know what you're saying, man. The batting market did. And maybe that and that is the most – I guess we'd never really talked skins on the show, so I didn't get a sense that I felt like they were a tear away. But you're saying both the market and your numbers didn't say that. 
then I guess I wonder. Then I'm starting to question my pick then because if these were e- the Giants were even or better in the preseason or, or entering the year. Yeah, they equal teams. All right. It strikes me that Daniel Jones makes the Giants better. What do the Redskins have that makes Can the them- Giants really be better with that injury? Oh, you're saying net net with Barkley yeah. out. You could I mean, say the Barclay's offense big. the offense is netting and that defense is just horrendous for the Giants. Yeah, so your point is even with the big upgrade, you do that with Barkley, it about evens out. Right. I think so. And that's it's almost like Eli's the quarterback. <laughs> yes. With Barkley. Yeah. Yes. But then is it would it still be value? It sounds like it should be th- oh, it's back to the Giants at home. You know something? I I don't know about a lot of this. I'm not as sure as I was because I just don't think the skins are that bad, maybe. And and maybe it, I I just don't think they're that bad because why are they? Meaning that I think Case Keenum's an average quarterback, right? So, I mean, meaning I'm not saying they're an average team. I'm saying their defense is underperformed, but that's another question. Their D was supposed to be much better. Do we trust the three games totally? See, I don't understand at all how you had him 30. Like, and again, it looks like you were right. It's just n- n- them being 30 now, I get. Them being 30 before the season, and what are they now? 30. So somehow yeah. they weren't downgraded. They're 29th. <laughs> so, oh, wait a minute. The skins have gotten better, apparently. Because the Jets have gotten worse. Well, you know, as Fess said on SOV today, we'll see. We'll see. All right, guys. Now we're going to go through rotation order. But remember, bonus best bets. And I'm going to have one today. I don't always have a second one. I love a second game. We're going through rotation order. And whenever those bonus best bets are, well, they are. But when Fezes comes up is when we play Blossom because he's the lead NFL. All right, we did the Texans. Oh, it's a good game. Colin was ahead of this one. Opening number, Ravens three and a half. Now, it was five, you know, it was, but it got to seven really quick. Maddie, are you familiar with this line move? Can you explain, or Fez, who's got the better feel of when the move happened? I know it was quick. With the Baltimore Ravens number? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it was right out of the gate. Look, this is when you see syndicate action. People always talk about syndicates, and I'm going to break the mold here, and maybe this isn't the place to do it, but I'm going to break the little secret. It's Most exactly books the place take to do syndicate it. bets. They'll take bets from the syndicates, but they limit them heavily. So they take those bets early. So if you're a syndicate and you already know you're going to be heavy, heavily limited, when are you going to be most likely to bet? Early in the week when your numbers disagree the most with the odds makers numbers. So what we tend to see the syndicate bets the most is very early because that's when they say, hey, my my numbers disagree with theirs. I'm going to hammer them. And then if the numbers move late, they come back in again. I thought that this this line moved very quickly. So let's talk about what you said because I think that there's a lot of history saying otherwise, so I want to understand it. One is when we say syndicates, let's use that. This is what what I consider a syndicate. A group of bettors who all work together using advanced analytics and algorithms as the baseline for their betting. I think that's fair. Now let's break that up into big syndicates versus not big or small. To me, a big syndicate, if they're betting an NFL game, at minimum wants to get down 50 What do we consider like Raz? Not nothing. I mean, like, because it's in, in that case, that is something where it's a very illiquid market, the college basketball totals. Oh, no, I'm sorry. When I say not, I meant uh, that would be, I guess, if there's, gr- like you said, groups of people 
banning that, which brings up interesting points about when things are released and the, the pr premature line moves. But getting that's just a rabbit Because I hear about these mysterious betting syndicates, but what I want to know well, is... Let's use, let's use, uh, where someone, are they betting? Let's use someone like Billy back in the day, not as let's the person we're Billy. talking about, sure. but say abstractly someone like Billy. Sure. He, when Billy was looking to bet, he was looking to get down hundreds of thousands, right? Yes, and, and he was given days when he was allowed to bet. And Billy always bet twice, right at the beginning of the week, mm -hmm. later on in the week. Now, here's the question, though. At the beginning, and here was where I most disagree with what you said. The bigger syndicates, and again, Dave Malinsky worked for Billy for 10 years. I picked his brain extensively. Not saying I'm right. I'm saying that's why I'm... I just know when the bets are And that's what I'm saying. Billy. You know so much more about this yeah. than me. So that's the starting point. That's why I want to learn about it. He always was like when you when with Billy, and I don't want to quote him verbatim. The gist that I got was with Billy, he was doing he would do enough real moves early that people took them seriously. But the main reason that he was batting early was for setups later. So let's just say to use round numbers. Uh, oh, go ahead. Every single bet he made with us was the exact same size. Okay, because. With you guys, you guys had, and, and again, he was always going to bet the limit. Correct. But he, always the limit. But he he was going to buy. Let's just say, for the sake of argument, he certainly bought back at least a third of the games. With you, you mm -hmm. don't even know where. Yeah, so perfect, and that's an interesting number I never heard. So early numbers, you would guess. A th and again, we're talking abstractions here, uh, not Billy. Is about a third of the games would be he, bought back. Now that's in. I had I had no idea that number. Twenty five to thirty. 35 is way too high. 25 to 30% for sure. All right. So now imagine that scenario. He's saying, okay, I like these games a little, uh, some, enough at this number. And obviously they all move for yeah. the most oh, part. Yeah. Yes. More than they should because they're, they're, booking, they're booking faces. Yep. Okay. So his thinking was, and this was Billy's trick, in my opinion. It wasn't his handicapping was so great. He had Malensky. He had other guys. They were good. Some of the best. But other people had the best too, and my understanding is later his AI wasn't the best. That his his computer was inferior to others, right? But what he might do is say, and again, this is my understanding. All right, I've got three games. Let's use a third just to keep it simple. I got three games I like. Two of them I'm going to get down, move the number now. I'm going to do it across here in Vegas offshore. And get down as much as I can. Understand that I won't get a full crack at this, maybe at this number. But hey, might as well get down whatever the. Let's assume for the sake of argument he wanted, and I think this is too high, but it's a round number. That he'd ideally want to get a million down across the world, right? Which I think is too high. But a hundred thousand is too so. low. You think? Okay, all right. Oh, but in certain cases, right? But you think? You think? Back in the day. Uh, and I think this is published, so I don't mind yeah. saying it. It's pretty public at this point that he used to get 300 a game at CG. Yes, yes. Right at the openers. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Oh, at the openers. Yeah. Ooh. Same bet. Early in the week, late in the week, he was the same bet. See, that's the thing. You guys. That's not fictitious. Same bet, whether he bets it on Monday or Sunday morning. See, I always, that's the thing. When I used to talk to guys before, we knew each other, and they were cancer guys. Some have come and gone is the idea was, yeah, we'll take a big crack. Because why would you ever let him buy him back if he didn't bet the same bet? Well, the theory is is that you're letting him – well, 
And he's the exception to every rule. Yeah, that's true enough. It, which, again, is why it's fascinating, right? Because yeah. he's made the most, you know, the theory is. And I think it's true. Let's do this because this could be a longer conversation. I, I want to zero in on the 30% just for this discussion. Sure. So he's got, let's say the million's the number. And maybe he's going to get down 100,000 or, or let's say 200,000 across all his outs because it's Sunday night. Week ahead, it's tougher, right? He's going to have two games of the three that he likes. And thus, he's going to keep that side. He'll see what the line does. He might bet the second number. He might not. Who knows? It doesn't matter for this discussion. One of the games, he loves the other side, but he thinks it's, a, it's an obscure game. It's a game people aren't going to look at as a game he would play. So now he's playing the other side, and everyone's like, yep, makes sense. And the thing that Smart Money book taught, Fez, and you were talking about that book. Have you ever read that? Yes. Is that he was super worried about showing who he liked. He was worried about protecting his sides even at post where hardly any syndicate seemed to be because he, he's worried about exactly what you're saying, Fez, which, again, if it's Billy, it makes sense. If Billy thinks his team's overrated, he doesn't want the books to know or the followers to know, right? So he would hide. He would make bets, he said, late to fool people because how could you bet at post a side you don't like? There's no buyback. He, it was just for him camouflage, as the blackjack guys call it. I mean, I don't know how much I – this remember is like magicians now, revealed here a little bit. Well, but remember now, this book was written – a lot later, but it really, if I remember correctly, it was like 2000 through 2003. Yes. And so it was a different I mean, year. way before Cantor. So yes. at Cant, I could tell you that later on, those weren't to fool people late. They were favors. Hey, we let you bet more than anybody else uh. gets to bet. We're a million high on the Packers today. Mm. How about you come in and take 300 off because that's your bet size? Or how about you take two bets worth off? And then when Billy wanted two bets later, he would get two bets on a side. And he took a lot of bets off a lot of books as favors, hmm. knowing that later when he wanted to double or triple bet a team, they would let him because he helped them mitigate now, their the risk. Question. Let's again talk abstractly, because in a way, the whole camouflage part for the screen watchers, Fez was obsessing over the moves in this case, but it's like it has nothing to do with anything, right? And he was like, uh-oh. You know, so it goes to show you both in one five-minute discussion, we show you where the line move made your point 100%, and a line move late would make the opposite point. I'm not saying it's 50-50, but it's not 100% on those line moves. Yeah, it's a, a great point. I know that there's plenty of people that, like, in, the, in these illiquid markets – that they'll bet into the sharpest books the wrong way routinely just to be able to raise a college basketball total of points. Yeah, and again, Billy was able to do that on NFL games, betting hundreds of thousands yeah. versus you know fifteen hundred or whatever. That's on all a it really yeah. takes, RJ. Yeah. yeah, and and so to me though, his thinking is okay. Everyone's going to overreact to me batting. So if the line runs on these first two, I got to accept. I'm not going to get much you know much more at a good number or any more. But then I get to bet some gigantic amount of money later, not only at one joint, not only the joints he initially bet, because everyone's moving on air now, or yeah. at least, you know, and then boom, all of a sudden he gets it. Think about it. He likes three games. Two of them, he gets the best number for a fraction of what he wants, but he still gets the best number. The other one, he gets a better number than he ever would. So all three bets make him money, right? Does that, I mean, does that generally sound right? Sure. Yeah. And I mean, that's why he won. Right, he, it was like jujitsu. 
that he was using the other person's uh, weakness. Like the other person was saying, well, Billy's batting. we got to gigantically move the number. It's like, okay, well, I'll bet that it's almost game theory. If it has exactly the right amount, that whatever I'm gaining the times I'm doing a head fake. And he was better at, at being Fez than Fez back in the day. What does that mean? I mean, can Fez call up and get the, hey, I want to triple bet this game even oh, though you limit you mean me? the negotiation. He could get, he was the best at that. Uh, and what was the rash? Was it the, was it they because were when you were, got were stuck on a game, when you got a million uh, high on a game, you'd say, "Hey, Billy, man, I, I can't get any action on this Alabama Clemson game. Can you take me off a million on Clemson?" Sure, but does it? But a million <laughs> on Clemson? Wow! Yeah, sure. A stick. And then, of course, when <laughs> when he wants a favor, you have to call it in. Now you got to figure if you're wrestling with Billy, it's, it, it, he's going to get the best of it. Of course. He's but, a huge favorite. But here's the thing. It strikes me that this is the weakness we've always talked about. The whole week-to-week, month-to-month perspective of the books, typically in Vegas historically, is why... Because they all have bankers to account to on Monday. Yeah. So they're saying, we know net-net, this is going to cost us money. Asking Billy for this favor is going to cost us money, but it will make this meeting easier. Yeah, because God That's forbid we lose $3 million on a college football game one Sunday and try to explain it on Monday. Wow, that is why these books are... And again, you know, I think talking about cancer, we haven't been specifically... I think they were more open to those losses than others, but even they weren't. Well, look, their original theory was let's hold a point and a half or two out of six billion than rather than saying let's hold four points out of, you know, a hundred. Are we million. sure that's been disproven? No, that's their theory when I started there. That's what I'm saying. But now we're talking about it in hindsight, like, oh, it was a failed thing. Was it? Or was there the legal issues? And then it was maybe some business decisions. We never got to see. Because of the legal issues that came up in one rogue employee, we never really got to see if it would have succeeded. And what would be fascinating is how would that company... So how many years since that the, the shift away from that? Has it been like five, six? Since 15, 16, so long, like four. Okay. Least. I thought it was four longer than that. Okay. Well, the Colbert thing happened late 13, that, and then that's they what started I'm talking to about. shift into 14. So yeah, it's yeah, about yeah, yeah. five years. Yeah. Okay, yeah. So if that company had, Cantor had been able to move forward unencumbered, I think they'd be, wouldn't they be in a, almost a perfect position? I mean, not saying the company was perfect, but... Right now, this is what they were waiting for. They'd right? be an outlier company with a unique risk management perspective, uh, taking huge the app volumes. would probably have been figured out. Yes, their volumes of wagers would dwarf anybody in the country. Because yeah. there was a time I started in 2012, I think, where they were 40% of the Nevada marketplace. That's what I'm saying. I yeah. mean, it was billions of dollars. I mean, that's when everyone hated them. Yeah. You know? And it was, <laughs> yeah. It was oh, like yeah. they're paying, you know, they're paying their ticket writers too much. It's like, okay, you're mad they're paying their ticket writers yeah. too much. I mean, it's just, you know, again, these, uh, these bookies, uh, I'm speaking for myself here. They, they just grew, it was a different environment. It wasn't mine, entrepreneurial. It was, you know, we're getting over on people. That, to me, was the general gist. And that's why they hate Fez, because Fez is trying to get over on them, and that's a, a tough battle. Right, Fez? Yeah, and I've been known to sneak in and... And we've heard that. You yes. actually wear costumes. <laughs> I mean... 
<laughs> I mean, forget about sneak. You actually put on costumes with the intent of fooling people. Is was that a known fact? Yes, he did that. No, no I kn- no, no I know. Oh. I was saying, was it a known fact? Oh yeah. Like what? How many? Or he would go to books when they were really busy. Hit ticket writer one, and then ticket writer three, and, were, and ticket writer five. So he'd skip one in between. So you guys, you guys were like literally watching, like the eye in the sky was trying That's to. That's fo- why when Fez would call me and say, "Hey, can you talk to who you know so and so about my?" I'd have a hard time because then they'd say, "Well, what about Fez hitting us fifty times on the miss erroneous parlay card?" Or you know. I mean, everyone you ever meet that was a bookmaker, the first time they come around here because they're starting to do something, they always tell some fest story. <laughs> oh, yeah. I mean, I'm it's sure. the truth. I mean, I have plenty boots, of them. Cowboy hat, walked around, a lot of action that week. A <laughs> lot of action. <laughs> he was in Reno. <laughs> what was his story? Was it Reno? Yeah, the rodeo was in town. So <laughs> I, wanted, I wanted to fit in with everybody. I was playing all my bets and. Went ahead and had my cowboy hat on. And do any pomp? Do any cowboys have pompadours? None. <laughs> Wore the cowboy boots, cowboy hat. Walked around. A lot of action that week. A lot of action. <laughs> so the term I use is stepladder. Are you familiar with stepladder? You know, I, I think I can I can project or I can guess. But you know, we went way even for the big show. And I tell you, sleep. We do, as we said, we cut out stuff even from the big show. I didn't find the best half of this. Keep it. Is he giving us a thumbs up? I can't even see him. Is he in there? I don't know. Did he kill over? I don't know. It is going long. That was interesting. So, Mackenzie, this is is worth a second here. So, we're on, you know, he's getting a chance to uh, talk a little more straight out of Vegas. And he's doing a good job, actually, with it. So we were talking about the MVP market for the NBA. And I said, you know, you actually had Embiid. I said, but it seemed like you bought at the worst possible spot. It was almost like you reversed the adage of buy low, sell high. It was buy high and then lose, I guess. (laughs) But somehow you, a guy who, you know, Ivy League education, but also... At one point early in your tenure here, you said you thought you could be a hedge fund uh, stock oh, taker. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> now, the funny thing is you're laughing. You were like 30 years old when you said that. It wasn't like when you were a kid. It was like four months ago, maybe. I'm 31. I'm wiser and older. Yeah, exactly. So <laughs> you do understand buy low, sell high, right? But what I'm saying is you were on the show. You were like, I- I'm not following what you mean. <laughs> like, can you explain like what when, was confusing? When I heard worst odds, I'm like, no, 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 RJ. I didn't bet it when it was thirty to one or something high like that. So you thought that <laughs> if you're betting in B, the worst odds would be thirty to one. Yeah, and the better <laughs> odds would be two to one. Because I'm always thinking chance to win. So if I like a player and his chances go up, I'm happy. Is but, that right? You're yeah. thinking chance to win instead of payoff? Yeah, because I'm I'm, I'm not as good as you guys. Are I'm a There's only one Mackenzie, baby. (laughs) (laughs) Mackenzie, let me know when you're thinking about buying a house in Las Vegas. Let me know right before you close on it. Been there, done that. Did very well. Thank you much. That's true. You did an Airbnb deal, right? Yep, yep. And then the the neighborhood went bad? (laughs) No, it was always bad. (laughs) It went worse? (laughs) Yeah. That reminds me one time. 
Oh, this I know it was 2008 because the election Hillary and, and uh, Obama was going on. And why were we there? Oh, we were there for the high state LSU game. Okay. So I was in New Orleans. And uh, Tom, who has been with me for decades, and he's a reliable dude. And he's had, a, you know, uh, sales. I, um, he booked like a two and a half star on one of those Travelocities or something. And it was like 40 minutes outside of the French Quarter. And it was like it was like a little motel I've never seen, or not a little motel, but like a motel in which it was literally, we'll say, ladies of the night. <laughs> there was um, there was maybe six or eight of them. It was like they had a, a stroll, but the stroll was a sort like between like these eight rooms. I mean, it was like it was almost like I'm hearing here in town that uh, the extended stays, you know, so. Like, when I moved to town in January of 98, it was uh, me, a gal, Tom, actually, and a gal, and Mark. So it was five of us. And it was a three-day drive from Ohio. We hit Vegas, like, about 1 a.m. on the third night because we didn't leave till like, 8 p.m. because I was still packing and, and the first night. And... We went to like a weekly, I guess you could call it, an extended stay or a weekly where they charge you a certain amount for the week. And the theory is that it's not as nice, you know, it's got like a little mini kitchen. So it's almost like a quasi apartment. Mm -hmm. And uh, what I didn't understand at the time was at least historically, these were good for people who didn't have credit. So imagine if you're someone, you know, you bounced a few checks. I mean, I'm not talking about just a few credit cards, but even worse, let's say. Mackenzie, I mean, again, from what I understand, you getting rousted by the Metro and stuff. <laughs> you, you probably, you know, with your buddies back in the day is um, uh, there's a lot of people that, that, you know, there's a lot of people they don't have an ID, right? You figure that one out. And, you know, <laughs> amongst these people, because I, I, they must have paper on them or whatever. There's actually an adage, you need ID to get ID. It's like. <laughs> yeah, oh. it's like, a, you know, it, it's. When 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 getting an ID is impossible, <laughs> it's, it's probably, you probably don't have a lot of, you know, there's not a lot of ways to go up from there, I don't think. <laughs> I guess legal ways anyway. So anyway, so what would happen is you could go in and pay cash up front for the week. And I don't know how they thought about the deposits or whatever, but a lot of people stayed at these that were not, let's say, in the best of circumstances, but they were not necessarily all bad people and or even criminals. All of them, or at least currently. I think all of them probably were at some point, but, you know, I don't know. There's one of the greatest movies of the century, and I say that sincerely. And I would literally say this movie probably affected me, like choked me up uh, more than any movie ever has. And it kind of is weird that it did, but maybe not. Um, I would so highly recommend it. The um the Florida Project, and uh, I think it was a guy named Simon Baker did it. Uh, he did a movie called Tangerine. Can you get the name of that, Mackenzie? All right. Of the director, and um, it was about this ex extended stay complex. Sean Sean Baker. Okay. Um, 
it was an extended stay complex in Florida. And it was all these people that, that just couldn't, you know, couldn't get an apartment. Was it the first and last? Was it the, the ID? I don't, you know, I don't know. And it really was just a great, I mean, not a good movie, a great movie. I thought it was the movie of the year when it came out. And that would have been in, uh, what year was that? Pull that up. And, uh, here we go. 17, 2017. And love it. But anyway, but what I'm hearing on the street is the extended stays now are so competitive, no one can get in them because of, I guess, cause of COVID and, you know, so many people having, I guess, struggles, uh, you know, with the rent and all that. And to the point that they like have gotten really strict, like even the, the weeklies now are beyond the reach of uh, like almost everyone that would have been at the weeklies before. It's almost like every strata has gone down one. Like if you, if you had like a, a borderline, you were able to keep a place. Now you're in the extended stay. And the people in the extended stay are wherever you go from there, right? And obviously there's homeless events. You know, I think there's probably a level below that that's not the homeless. But I don't know. You have any sense of that, Mackenzie? I was starting to see that in 2019 before all of this happened. Like if you had a $50 a night room, it was like not a good thing. You had to get it higher in order to be like, you know, in order to be confident that you were going to have a, someone that wasn't oh, going to mess up your place. Okay. So what you're saying is... The Airbnb you still had up till when? 2019. Okay. And and you were saying that the the, the quality of the people was going down. Yeah. If, if you, there was a high demand for $40 a night rooms from people that you did not want to rent to. And then the interesting thing is in Vegas, if you look at, you know, the Expedia or whatever the various hotel deals are, you can, um, uh, in theory, and I don't know if it's still the case, you could jump around and get 25 bucks a night, you know, on Wednesday night, Thursday night. Like the Flamingo might be 25 bucks. And then the D might, because if you're willing to move like at 6 o'clock or 5 o'clock p.m., yep. they see what the inventory is. And then, they'll, you know, that's kind of the nice thing about the online deal where they can change it right away. And so I know people that have, you know, right now they're just room hopping. And I guess they're all pissed because now people are starting to fly into Vegas. It's a, I got to tell you, it's tough out there in them streets. <laughs> <laughs>